Welcome to the Medicine and Machine Learning Podcast. I'm your host, David Wu, and in today's episode, we interview David Lindsay, CEO of Encora Medical. David began his training in machine learning and medicine as a trainee in the MD-PhD program at the University of Pennsylvania in 2012, where he earned a PhD in bioengineering, with thesis work focused on machine learning and healthcare. After both of his parents were diagnosed with cancer during his medical school training, David took a leave of absence and founded Encora Medical, a company which he describes as a data, documentation, and care personalization platform for specialty oncology. The company has gone on to install machine learning-based healthcare personalization software at major health systems including Northwell Memorial and MD Anderson Cancer Center. Meanwhile, David has found the time to complete his medical training and will graduate with his MD in May of 2022. So welcome, David. Um, so I was wondering, you know, if you could tell us more kind of in your own words about your story and how you came to the intersection of medicine and machine learning. Yeah, David, uh, nice to meet you. Thanks for being on, uh, inviting me to be on the show here. Um, and, you know, you know, excited to, to, to talk to you about, you know, our story at Encora. Um, you know, so as you mentioned in your intro, um, I started the company during medical school. Um, you know, I was kind of on a bit of a unique path because I was, I was doing both engineering school, getting my PhD and, and medical school at the same time. So the way that that, you know, worked was, you know, during the sort of the morning hours and during the daytime, you know, I'd be in the clinic working, you know, in the cancer center or, you know, in a lab learning, learning about medicine. And then in the afternoons and evenings, I'd be doing my engineering courses, studying machine learning. And essentially what I found during this this time in my life is that what I was learning in the afternoon in engineering school, unfortunately, wasn't even remotely close to being applied, um, you know, in a, in a clinical setting, um, you know, even, uh, you know, amongst, you know, sort of, the, you know, top, top doctors, um, you know, around. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, the turning point for me um, was, was trying to say, how do we, how do we use the data that we're entering into the EHR um, for the benefit of, of cancer patients. Um, you know, I mentioned you know, a little bit about my, my, my personal experience of having uh, family members with cancer, which, um, you know, is, is become, you know, very common these times, right? I mean, I think everybody has a friend or family member who has, who has been through a, you know, a fight with cancer, but when helping my parents, you know, I just kept having this burning, you know, frustration that, you know, it's, this could be better, right? We could have a solution, you know, in the hands of physicians, um, that could help personalize cancer care, um, you know, and identify, you know, certain risks that might exist for serious adverse events, um, you know, using predictive analytics or, you know, recommend even, you know, therapies based on past successful treatments and similar patients. And so, uh, yeah, I took the leave of absence from school, um, built a, you know, founding team and, uh, you know, just, just went for it. Wow. I was, I'm curious, uh, how, that must have been a really tough jump to make, you know, to to take the leave of absence and really dive into the company. Like I was wondering, I don't, could you kind of talk more about your decision to do that? Yeah, you know, I think there's I, I felt a sense of urgency, you know, just you know because I think where we were in the technology development life cycle, you know, EHRs were improving, um, you know, cloud computing had, you know had improved. Um, I was also in Philadelphia at, at Penn, you know, which is also, you know, home of the Wharton School. And there's a lot of resources for starting 
businesses that are available to, to Penn medical students uh, as well. And so, and I just thought there was this confluence of factors that really made me wanted to, to do this right now, right? you know, put everything else on hold and do this right now. Um, and so, you know, we, we interviewed probably 50 or so oncologists and, and pitched our, you know, various versions of the idea, you know, all on paper before we ever started writing any code. And, you know, just the response was so overwhelming um, in its support of the idea uh, that, that we really felt like we had something. And so we, you know, we left school, my co-founder and I both, uh, you know, went to, you know, went to Silicon Valley and went to, you know, went to the West coast and pitched a bunch of investors and, and some, you know, someone said yes, right. Uh, for, for a funding round, we had some great supportive investors back East here in, in Philly. Um, and we just started to get to work. Wow. I'm, I'm curious, uh, one, could you tell us, you know, about like, what was the, the starting idea, like the initial idea that kind of you decided to run with, and then two, could you tell us about, uh, you know, your like founding team, like there's you and your co-founder and anyone else involved? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the initial idea was to use machine learning to try to personalize oncology care for, for patients, right? And, you know, we had sort of a, an initial sort of thought process, right? This was, this was ideated by helping, you know, my parents through their cancer decision-making process. And so, you know, the question was, is this a patient tool? Uh, or is this a physician tool? Um, you know, although I'm a strong, strong believer in, in patient involvement and in, in decision-making and access to data, and I, I think we're going to continue to make even more headway there, we thought this would have the biggest impact in the hands of the physician. So, you know, at the end of a sort of ideation process, we, we thought, you know, we're building a, a clinical tool uh, you know, for physicians to use in the oncology care workflow to leverage the data that's available on a particular patient to personalize their cancer treatment. Now, to actually operationalize a solution like that, you know, there's some other technologies that have to be in play as well, right? So you have to have enough data, um, not just in terms of sheer patient numbers, but also high quality data that with the right data elements, um, outcomes data, you know, labeled, uh, you know, to use for training, um, you know, et cetera, to, to even train a machine learning model. And then second, um, you know, physicians are extremely busy, um, you know, and have already very taxing uh, workflows. Um, and so we, we knew that a physician was not going to, you know, go to encoremedical.com and type in 100 variables yeah. per patient, right, to, 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 to use the tool. Um, so we knew we would need to, to deal with integration and interoperability. Um, so our, our first step really after, you know, sort of evolving into this, you know, patient, you know, the patient care platform uh, for physicians was to partner up with a, uh, you know, an academic medical center that, that had a, a, a radio, you know, big, a big practice, um, you know, an oncology presence. So that thus begins our collaboration with MD Anderson Cancer Center, which was, um, you know, our, our first, you know, major customer um, and, and really, you know, had a, a group of about 10 physicians from MD Anderson that helped us build the initial product, um, you know, and, and that still use the product today. Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. I'm curious, uh, like when, I guess at what stage of your career did you, uh, like, you know, was it during your PhD years or during your med school years, did you decide to, to pursue this? Like what year was it around? Yeah. So I had started thinking about the company during 
like my second year of medical school um, is really when I first started thinking about it. Uh, you know, I finished that, you know, took the licensure, you know, licensure exam. Step one is, step oh one. man, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and, uh, and began working my PhD lab. So I did like a, probably, I think I did about two years in the lab also while I was like continuing to iterate and, and really work on the, work on the idea. Um, so I started the company like overlapping with that time in lab, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but eventually. And you were doing like machine learning stuff in lab? I was doing more like yeah, medical image processing um, and, you know, some machine learning around those sort of automated diagnosis based on medical. Mm. So like related, but not sort of exactly what we were trying to do, um, you know, at Encora. Um, and I, I was fortunate to have a really supportive PI and, and mentor, Dr. James G, um, who's uh, in the, the radiology uh, you know, research group at the University of Pennsylvania, Pixel. Um, you know, and, and he sort of pulled me aside and, you know, was like, listen, you know, I know, you know, you're really passionate about this startup. I know you want to finish your degree, but, you know, you can't do everything all at once. And so it was, you know, it was him and also our, our uh, director of our MD PhD program who really, uh, you know, supported me and, you know, and, and kind of enabled me to take that leave of absence to go and pursue the company. And this was like 2016, 2017 or? It was actually more around like 2015. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 2015. So, you know, just in terms of like the, the broad, broad timeline, left school, um, you know, worked on the company and, you know, without any academic responsibilities for, for a few years. Um, and then my PI and the school sort of offered me the opportunity to kind of complete, um, you know, my training um, kind of in conjunction with, with running the company. Um, so I finished my PhD, um, you know, and then, you know, completed my you know, clinical rotations and so forth while, while still running the company. That's awesome. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You're both a, a medical student, like a third year medical student and a CEO <laughs> at the same time. And now, yeah. And now, uh, now recently a father, as I think we were talking and, about before. Yeah. Know, wow. Congrats. Big years at home. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Wow. How, uh, I guess, was that difficult, you know, kind of doing your medical school requirements while also running a company at the same time? For me, it was really using sort of two different parts of my brain. Like, I feel like being away from clinical training entirely, um, you know, was actually more challenging because I, ha- I didn't have access to, you know, the the types of people that and physicians that would be using our software. So I actually think coming back was more inspiring than anything. Um, it's not easy from a time commitment perspective, but, you know, I'm used to, you know, spending, you know, 80 to hundred hours a week working on stuff. So that's not, okay. wasn't a problem. Yeah. I was wondering if you could kind of talk more about like the early years, early stages, like how, uh, like what, what was your team like, um, you know, kind of what were some of the initial hurdles that you guys faced as a team and as a startup? Yeah. Yeah. So I was really fortunate to have an incredible co-founder. Um, Chris Berland was a, you know, a, a friend from, from high school, you know, we did all sorts of nerdy stuff together, like, you know, played in the band and competed on math team and all, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, but uh, yeah, he went and he got his, was getting his PhD at Georgia tech at the same time as I was doing my MD PhD at Penn. Um, so we actually both took leave of absences from our respective programs um, to, you know, to really start the company, uh, together. And, um, 
he also finished his PhD uh, and, uh, you know, sort of make, had made that work. And, you know, it's just been incredible. Having a, having a co-founder, particularly during those tough early years, um, is sort of what gets you through. Um, mm -hmm. You know, whenever there's a brick wall, you know, that you have to break through, you know, you always have someone you can turn to to, to, to talk to and to, to brainstorm with. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm very fortunate and would recommend to anyone starting a company, you know, pick a team that's going to be with you you know, through anything. You know, what were uh, like some of the, the early hurdles that you guys faced or like, I guess, you know, some of your most memorable challenges. Oh boy. Uh, there are many, um, you know, I think, you know, some, some memories that we had, you know, that we had together, um, you know, we were pitching, you know, an oncology group at a major hospital um, and, we had built, this is very early. So we had built a PowerPoint presentation that basically was a, a very low fidelity mock-up of, of the application. And it showed essentially sort of two potential treatments for the patient side by side. And it had, um, you know, scores, you know, percentages from one to a hundred indicating, you know, their probability of experiencing an adverse event given that treatment. Um, and, you know, we, we had some colors on it and, you know, we made it look you know, as good as we could. And we were showing it to the, the chair of the oncology department at this institution. And they said to us with like in a very excited face, like, this is incredible. You know, could you make this part red? Right. <laughs> you know, it was like something, some really simple, you know, UI tweak, but, you know, we had been describing the idea to people for, you know, what felt like years. Um, but it wasn't until we sort of finally put something down on paper that and put it in front of a user, a physician, you know, a leader of a, of a clinical department, that they're able to like really envision themselves using it. Mm. So that was kind of like a big moment, you know, for us when we realized the value of of actually demonstrating, you know, putting a demo in front of a in front of a customer. Yeah, I'm curious, like when is like the, when was like your first demo that you were able to, I guess, implement? I guess you're talking about like the MD Anderson Cancer Center. Was that your guys's first like use case? Uh, we also did some work with with Penn early on, um, you know, as well in terms of like product ideation and, and pilots and testing and things like that. Um, but Penn, uh, MD Anderson was ultimately like the very first, you know, clinical adopters of the technology. And so what was it, um, I guess, back then, you know, like what, I guess, what, uh, what did you guys offer? Yeah, yeah. So to kind of break down our, you know, our company, um, you know, tagline, right, is sort of a data documentation and care personalization solution for, for our oncology specialties. Um, you know, and so the very first, the first product was actually really focused on data capture. Um, you know, as you know, from your, you know, your medical training, uh, when, when physicians or clinicians are recording patient encounters, they, they write this in a narrative note, free text, right? You know, writing yeah. paragraphs and paragraphs into the EHR. And although that's great for internal team communication, it's not that useful for aggregated data analysis and reporting. Um, so what we were trying to do is basically bridge the gap between a form that would capture all the data in a nice structured format and actually a note, which is more conducive to you know, clinical communication. So we built a platform that really did both. It was a sort of structured data capture platform asking for only the right, out, the right data elements for the specific use case, like really customized to you know, whether we're looking at, you know, a urology clinic or, um, you know, a gynecologic oncology, you know, uh, clinic, right, to ask those questions in a structured format and then automatically generate the notes 
um, on the back end, sort of integrate that with the EHR. So that, that was really the, that was the first step. Um, we also built integrations with existing uh, electronic record systems within a hospital. So trying to pull in all the medication data and lab data, oh, man. <laughs> medical imaging data, pathology data, et cetera, and then unify that. So we built like a whole platform to be able to ingest and normalize data from coming from all these different streams into sort of one sort of data warehouse. Um, and we built on top of that uh, a visualization um, and analysis engine that our customers could use to just look through their own data, right? And, and all of this is really focused on putting data at the fingertips of clinical decision makers so that they could use it in the, the way that they thought best. Um, what we weren't building was, you know, what, what people sort of refer to as, as clinical decision support software, right? Mm -hmm. um, sort of like this, this idea of, you know, taking in, you know, 20 variables about a patient and saying, you know, we think this patient should get, you know, radiation with concurrent cisplatin or something, right? You know, in this dose, in this many cycles and, you know, click, click okay to, to, to prescribe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? So we weren't, we weren't really trying to be prescriptive to our clinical users we thought there was a lot more value in being predictive, um, mm. to identify which of your patients is at highest risk for a hospitalization or serious adverse event and putting it, you know, in the hands of the, the care team to mitigate that risk, maybe by changing the treatment, but maybe by providing supportive care. Um, so I think that's where we had a lot of success because we weren't trying to replace clinical decision-making. We're just trying to augment Mm -hmm. the ability of physicians to risk stratify their patients. I'm curious though, how, where did you guys get your data? You know, I, I think it's a really cool idea, but like, I feel like, you know, the data you would need would be quite a lot, right? Absolutely. I mean, so that's why, you know, we work with the data of our customers. Um, so when we, you know, install the product, we're pulling, you know, recent data from their, their EHR um, you know, all those data elements that I you know, mentioned, you know, from their, their treatments to, you know, their outcomes, um, de-identifying that and then using that data uh, to learn, um, you know, predictive risk models. You guys, uh, are you guys compatible with all the different EHRs or just like a select few? Yeah. So, I mean, we started off with, you know, EHRs like Epic, Cerner, Allscripts, um, and then expanded out to some specialty EHRs um, like Varian's ARIA platform or um, Electa's Mosaic um, Oncology Informatics platform. Um, so that was sort of like the initial, the initial uh, launch. Now, actually, the, uh, the United States you know, government through the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT has mandated a, a set of common data elements that have to be made accessible through FHIR, FHIR interfaces um, at all practice locations. So we're, we're hoping to be able to use those standards moving forward to access even you know, more seamlessly the, the data that's contained in hospitals. That's awesome. Uh, that, I feel like that, you know, just even thinking about it sounds like so much work, you know, <laughs> in those early stages. Yeah, there's a lot. No, there's, there's a lot to it. Um, you know, each of these different data types, you know, needs to be processed and cleaned um, and normalized. Um, there's a lot of variability in how hospitals store this data, you know, whether they're attaching, you know, sort of semantic codes or meaning to, you know, to the data, even just something as simple as, you know, comparing, um, you know, acetaminophen versus Tylenol, right? You know, 
how does your data model know that those are you know the same thing? So in the beginning, was it just you and your co-founder kind of doing all all this coding? A lot of it, yeah. I mean, for at least at least a year, um, you know, we had raised some initial seed funding. Probably raised like a little a little less than about a hundred thousand in the seed capital, and um, you know, use that to be able to to build the prototype of the the software ourselves. Um, so yeah, up until when we got our you know first round of you know significant funding, it was just the two of us. Wow. Can you can you tell um can you tell us what like the first round was like? You know, getting that initial round of funding. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, you know, uh, like I said, we went out went on like a road show to the West Coast. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and pitched probably you know twenty or so investors. Um, one investor, you know, by the name of Adam Lin at iSeed Ventures, um, you know, really liked what what we were building, saw the demo, you know, was impressed with, you know, the software and, you know, called up a couple uh, of the doctors who we were working with and checked some references. And so, yeah, he was our first, he was our first, uh, you know, investor, you know, said people, he would put in half a million dollars. And then, um, you know, around that we, you know, we had, uh, you know, some additional uh, venture investors, uh, a company, some some high net worth individuals that um, you were able to follow on with that investment and, and and participate in our first very first round. That's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Just curious, what what round are you guys in now? Um, you know, so I mean, I would say we've we've raised um, a couple of tranches of seed funding, and we're now raising you know what is sort of conventionally referred to as a series a sort of when you're you're moving from research and development and product market fit to more rapidly commercializing and distributing your product congratulations well thanks man um i'll clarify i'll clarify that uh you know although raising that seed round was a you know felt like a big accomplishment it's really more just um you know one exciting you know page you know, it's the first page of a whole book of, of, uh, of milestones, right? So when you raise that first round of funding, that's when the real work begins, um, you know, and so um, that's kind of how we feel now too about our, our next rounds. We like to, we like to put it together, but it's all the work that's going to come, come next. That's going to, you know, make or break. Yeah, that's, uh, would you, would you say that you found your, your product market fit? Absolutely. Yeah. And not, you know, not, you know, not through, not without significant um, iteration and, um, you know, advice and recalibration, you know, based on customer feedback, right? I think machine learning in healthcare is relatively young uh, concept. We have like V1, you know, V0 type solutions that are available. Um, And particularly machine learning in the clinical workflow. Um, mm, yeah. a really hard problem to solve um, that requires not only machine learning expertise, but also very detailed understanding of how clinical workflows function um, across different specialties. Mm. Um, so having the physicians closely involved in the company um, from the very start, you know, is, is our competitive advantage. Um, you know, and we really, you know, we've seen others, you know, try to do this, but it's, 
where, where they all fail is, is, in, is in getting the clinical adoption of the product. Mm. And I guess from day one, you guys have been aiming for that, right? That's yeah, that's right. Laser focused on how do we make this work in the clinical workflow? Um, how do we engage physicians as our champions, um, not just users of the, of the tool? Uh, and how do we solve real problems with machine learning um, that, that any physician would tell you, yeah, this is a, you know, this is a major problem, right? Um, versus building a machine learning platform and saying, you know, well, what problems might we be able to solve with this fancy software mm. that we built, right? Which yeah, is like yeah, yeah. What, a, what a lot of larger companies have done. And that's why they've had so many missteps. Mm. I was wondering, could you talk through an example of, you know, um, the clinical implementation, like a, a use scenario? Yeah, yeah. So my, one of my favorite use cases of our product is to predict hospitalization um, risk, right? So hospitalization during or shortly following uh, a cancer treatment is a major uh, concern, right? It re represents significant mortality and morbidity risk to the patient just from, from having that serious adverse event. Um, you know, the toxicities and the quality of life um, are obviously impacted, but also hospitalizations delay and pause curative treatments. Mm, so okay. Not only does a hospitalization represent toxicity, it represents now a lower chance of, of cure. Um, so we're really interested in avoiding hospitalizations um, at, at Encora. And we worked with MD Anderson Cancer Center to train a predictive model that would take into account details about the patients, you know, their prior lab data, medical data, past medical history, um, you know, all sorts of variables about who they are. Um, takes in variables about the treatment, you know, whether it's a multimodality therapy involving systemic therapy, surgery, radiation, immunotherapy, um, and then outputs a, a risk probability prediction for hospitalization uh, during or shortly after their treatment. So we, we trained this model retrospectively using prior data, validated mm -hmm. it on a retrospective, um, you know, left out data set, an independent data set. Then we validated it prospectively, sort of froze the model in time, and then used it on the next sort of about 100 patients that were, were treated at, at MD Anderson. Uh, and then finally, we, we actually started to evaluate it in conjunction with um, an intervention. So using our risk model to identify the high risk patients and then prescribe to those patients an early referral to supportive care. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So we're, we're in the middle of that study now. Um, That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's real clinical use of a machine learning model uh, to try to avoid hospitalization in cancer patients. That's super cool. Thanks. And then I, I guess, you know, now you're gathering data and then, you know, hopefully it's good. And, and then I guess then it's deployed. Right. And then I guess, you know, people it's usable then, or I, I'm curious, yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm actually not too sure about like, you know, what, what the FDA regulations are, or are there, are there regulations? Cause I feel like it's a relatively new space. Um, you know, say you build something and it works pretty well. Can you just start deploying it or do you need to get clearance? Yeah. Good question. I mean, it really depends on whether your software system constitutes a medical device, right? Ah. Uh, you know, so, you know, the FDA has a pretty clear definition as to, you know, what, what constitutes a medical device, right? Something that provides 
you know, diagnosis or treatment, um, you know, to a patient, um, you know, and for us, uh, we've, we've chosen to focus our efforts on um, activities that don't constitute uh, medical devices, right? So like risk stratification, um, you know, for quality improvement purposes, you know, targeting supportive care interventions, right? That's, that's not a medical device. Whereas, yeah. you know, something that's continuously monitoring the patient during a surgery and automatically adjusting the dose of their anesthetic to try to, you know, keep them, you know, uh, in a suitable condition for surgery. That's very much, a med- that's a medical device. Mm-hmm. So with those two extremes, you can kind of, there is a lot of gray area, right? And so we engage the FDA and, um, you know, have, adv- you know, advisors and, and, and things like that, just in case we eventually do want to pursue, you know, a more medical device like AI solution that we're, that we're ready to do that. That's fascinating. Cause I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's not entire, it's not a medical device, but it is, you know, I feel like it's somewhere along the spectrum of medically helpful, right. You know, cause it's predicting, uh, you know, outcomes or predicting po- potential hospitalizations. And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the FDA is real. They have a really nuanced, you know, really good description of these types of concerns actually. So it's not as if you know, the FDA is ahead of this, right. They're, they're really, trying not, they'll say, well, is your solution used by a physician? And does the physician have adequate time to review the results of your machine learning model before making a clinical decision? You know, is your machine learning model uh, transparent so that, you know, it's very clear what variables were used to arrive at the decision so that a physician could, you know, easily understand its recommendation and perhaps override that recommendation. Um, Like they've actually sort of take all of that into account in their assessment of the risk of different medical software products. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it's for, for other people thinking about different machine learning opportunities in healthcare, you know, those are definitely a good place to, to take a look, to understand where you fall from a regulatory perspective. I'm also curious too, is um, do, do hospitals or, you know, just more on the financial side of things, like do hospitals bill, like how, how does, um, I guess, compensation work or, you know, for yeah. example, for using this model, or if you like, do you get a pr- prediction from this, like, you know, did they kind of pay like in a lump sum beforehand, or is there like a s- subscription model? Um, yeah, so I mean, yeah. We, we operate based on a subscription model. So hospitals sign up to use Encora for a year, two years, five years, um, and pay us sort of an annual rate to use the software. And, you know, from a value proposition perspective, we're helping them one, um, automate their documentation, right? So the documentation that they're submitting to insurance companies is, um, you know, very accurate, very standardized, meets all the requirements. It can really reduce the amount of rejected claims um, that they experience. Second thing we do is we help with prior authorization. Um, so for cancer therapies, prior authorization is a major um, hurdle that clinicians and patients have to jump over in order to get payment uh, for, for the cancer treatment. Um, and, you know, I think I saw there was a statistic that was published recently that was about, about a, close to $100,000 per doctor per year is spent on prior authorization, right? Oh, my God. So a, non, a non-trivial amount of um, yeah. work by the physician per year just to get the therapies that they believe patients should have wow. paid for. Um, and so we help with all the documentation and um, evidence generation for that process, Um, you know, and then finally, like the care personalization aspect right now in oncology, there are not 
significant financial incentives to avoid adverse events, right? Mm. A hospital mm. gets paid if you go to the hospital. It's not yeah. like it's not like some programs like Medicare Advantage where you know the physician you know or the plan is at risk for all the subsequent costs. There have been attempts, right? There's something called the oncology care model, which you know was a, a Medicare initiative. There's there's alternative payment models and um, other quality metric driven reimbursements, but value-based care and oncology, at least from a full risk perspective, is not here yet. Um, so we rely on the financial value proposition of our documentation software and then the the you know the oath of the physicians right to provide the best care i mean these doctors want to avoid hospitalizations in their patients there's no doubt yeah. so we help them do that yeah actually that kind of brings me to another question that i had uh, i was looking on the website and i saw that uh you know there's like i guess there's two categories of the Encora. Um, the, you know, the different services that you guys provide. One is for healthcare, one's for research. And then on, on the healthcare side, I saw there's patient care, analytics, and quality. Right. Um, so those three, are, are, is that where you kind of, is that what you were talking about earlier? How like, um, I, I'm not sure, like, is this kind of related or is it something? No, absolutely. No. So, I mean, by capturing structured data about each encounter, it makes it much easier to calculate quality metrics, um, mm. you know, and quality metrics are, you know, could be created for the purposes of tracking care at your own institution. There are sort of national quality metrics that are put out by Medicare and other organizations. Um, and so we help, uh, we help our customers calculate and track those quality metrics in real time so that, um, you know, if they're dipping down below a certain level, they can act on that and make improvements. Um, you know, and, and this also supports participation in uh, quality-based payment programs, QPP, which is a, a Medicare um, incentive program that, that reimburses uh, physicians for um, higher quality uh, care. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's uh, very impressive that, you know, you know I think the, the American healthcare system is very Byzantine, convoluted, complex. And I think it's like, I don't know, you, you, you know, there's so many different forms of billing that you were t talking about earlier. It's, I think it's very um, impressive that you guys have like been able to, I don't know, like participate in that or enmesh yourselves within that, you know? Yeah, I would say, you know, that, that complexity has given the opportunity for, you know, innovation, right? Like, so, I mean, there's, because of that, I'm not saying the complexity is good, right? But because of that complexity, you know, you need a lot of software solutions to help you do X, Y, and Z. And there's, there's opportunities, you know, for, you know, enterprising companies to create a solution and, and make money by doing that. What I think that we've done that is, that I'm most proud of is that we've been able to do that while still sticking to our mission of, you know, helping personalized care uh, you know, for oncology patients, right? So like, even though there's not an incentive per se, a financial incentive for physicians to, um, you know, predict which patient might be at highest risk for hospitalization and then act on that, even in the absence of a financial incentive to do that, we've built a business model that allows us to do that, um, you know, by removing some of the day-to-day, -day, um, you know, repetitive documentation and, and, and some of the billing frustrations and frictions and prior auth frustrations and frictions 
um, but then tying that to what we think is the the right thing to do for for patients. Mm. This is kind of more of a logistical question. I'm wondering, do you guys uh, like integrate directly with their EHR, or is it like a separate standalone application? You know, yeah, good question. We integrate directly. Um, you know, so that the physician doesn't have to go log into a separate system, right? We integrate with all of the um, the credentials, right? So that they have the same login. They can automatically be logged in when they're already logged into their EHR. Um, they can launch our software from the EHR and it will open oh, wow. up the correct patient and the correct encounter. Um, and then when they're you know, finished entering data and reviewing things and predictions in Encora, all that information is sent right back to the EHR so that others who need those documents can, can access them seamlessly. So it's, um, it's right in the same workflow and we're leveraging you know, the FHIR standards wow. to, be able to do that at scale. Did you guys have to do that yourselves or was that built in in co cooperation with the different EHRs? Um, no, we, we, you know, they offer um, a variety of, of interfaces and integration capabilities, right? And so on our side, we needed to sort of build to build to, uh, specify the specifications that those EHR companies outline for their interoperability, um, you know, guidelines. So um, we built it, but, you know, not from scratch, we're, we're leveraging you know, tooling that they make available. Mm. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell us about some of the other projects that you have in the pipeline. Yeah, um, you know, well, so as I, so I mentioned, like really focusing a bit on, on, on commercialization. So we're, you know, we're really focused on trying to get um, as many, you know, new customers as we can to sign onto the Encora platform, um, you know, on, on the one hand to you know, grow our revenue base, but on the other hand to grow um, you know, the pool of data that we have access to. Um, you know, for machine learning, it's really important to have um, a diverse data set, uh, both of the types of treatments that are being prescribed, but also you know, of the underlying patient population on which the model is trained. Um, because using a model that's trained on one population on a patient that is sort of an outlier from that group, um, you're not gonna have nearly as, as good performance. And in fact, your, your performance may be biased in a, you know, mm. in a way that it's you know, related to the original training set. Um, so we really want to increase um, you know, that, the, the, the quantity and the diversity of our, of our training set, um, you know, and then begin to roll out these machine learning models you know, at, at scale. Um, so rather than um, you know, training one model for one hospital, which is what we do today, right? We will train a model for you based on your, mm -hmm. um, but actually working, um, you know, and improving our statistical techniques and methods and data set to be able to have one model that can be sort of adapted, but used um, across a, a broader population of patients. Yeah, I'm curious, like, because I guess you guys started in, in Philly, right? But yeah. then the first hospital or, or to take you guys was MD Anderson. Are, are they in, are they in Houston? I, I'm actually, I don't know. Where they're Houston. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they're in Houston. What, like, you know, in that first time, how, uh, cause you know, I feel like the people of Philly versus the people of Houston are very different. Uh, I, I don't know. Was the, did you find that like the model was generalizable to like different cities? Yeah. I mean, we didn't, right. It wasn't generalizable. So that, that's the problem is that, you know, you need to, in some sense, in order to have a highly accurate model, 
that's that's appropriate to use in a population, you have to train it on that population. Um, you know, there's ways to to sort of adapt a model. That's all, you know, you don't have to necessarily start from scratch, right? You can you can pre-train a model on one data set and then you know use like transfer learning or you know, mm -hmm. sort of other methodologies to to go ahead and then adapt that to another another data set. Um, but ultimately, it requires learning on you know on that local data before before use. I'm also curious: um, is the model static or is it kind of like constantly changing based on like the new data that comes in? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, you know, from a machine learning perspective, you can kind of do it either way, right? You can do like an online learning where each new example that comes in um, updates the parameters of the model, right? Um, you can do uh, sort of a one and done training, right? Sort of a batch training on one set of data and then that's it. Um, you know, or of course there are intermediate steps, right? Where you're sort of doing like a, a batch update. Um, you know, you're, re you're retraining the model on new batches of data that come in at sort of predetermined times. So that's the model that, that we take, right? Because we wanna be able to do some um, sort of testing and validation of the model after every update, just to make sure that, you know, the data that's been introduced, um, you know, and in any updates to the, you know, the model parameters that have resulted have not, you know, totally changed the model in a way that, you know, could be, could be harmful. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, what are your next steps for Encora? Yeah. I mean, so right now we're really excited about building out our team, right? We're hiring across our product engineering and then, you know, data science organizations um, where we're expanding, um, you know, into a number of, of hospitals um, and really trying to, to grow our user base over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, you know, so, I mean, I think, you know, our mission is to get, to get this into the hands of as many oncologists as, as possible um, for the maximum benefit of patients. So I guess be on the lookout for us. Yeah, I'm curious, could you give us like your your 60 second, say like, for example, you're talking to the chief oncologist at some center, like, could you give us your, your 60 second pitch for Encora? Yeah, um, you know, basically, right, as I said, you know, a documentation, data, and personalization of care solution for, for oncology, you know, I would, I would harp on the fact that it's likely that you know, that particular department is, is losing money because of uh, rejected claims due to inaccurate or incomplete documentation, right? And, and that although they may be using their EHR, each doctor is using that EHR in a different way. And that with our solution that's been refined carefully by expert physicians, like over the last, you know, three years, you can kind of have the best of both worlds. You can, you can structure your documentation in a way that makes the physician's lives easier, makes your documentation better, improves revenue, all the while offering you the chance to use data and predictive analytics to personalize uh, care for your patients. Um, so give them the one-two punch, right? Give I see, yeah, value. I get it now. I see the one-two yeah. punch now. <laughs> you gotta, gotta get them on the value of the software, which is mm -hmm. you know, brings legitimate clinical workflow and documentation value to help the institution make more money. Mm -hmm. But doing that will further enables them to provide better care, um, you know, to their patients, you know, and uh, enables, you know, better and more efficient research. That's great. I see the one-two punch. It's like you can have your cake and eat it too. That's, that's right.
That's awesome. Uh, I'm curious, uh, what is what is industry like versus academia? You know, because you've been in both now, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, for for you know any of the listeners who might be you know students or um, you know trainees and you know thinking about careers in academia versus industry, I mean there there are a lot of similarities, um, right? I mean I think in both academia and industry you have to um, you know convince others to believe um, in what you're doing. Like in research, you need to convince a you know an NIH study section that your your grant should be funded. And you know, in industry, whether you're an entrepreneur trying to convince investors to give you funding, or whether you're working in a larger organization and trying to secure budget for you know your team to you know pursue X, Y, and Z initiative, you know you're always trying to garner support for um, your idea. So mm-hmm. I think that's. Important. I like that. Uh, yeah, that's a great point you bring up. Um, you know, and then in industry also, right? Like I, I specifically call out like the physician scientist. Um, type of a role and right and like MD PhD programs physician scientists are really focused on doing clinically relevant research and translating those results into um, improvements in you know in clinical care um, so you can also you can do that in a lab right you can mm-hmm. do that as a PI running a you know, running a grant funded laboratory you could also do that in industry right it's a little bit you know later in the translation arc right so we're not necessarily going you know from you know, very, very basic science and turning that into a, a solution, but we can sort of stand on the shoulders of incredible scientists and help translate those incredible discoveries into uh, usable um, solutions uh, for healthcare. So, Wow. Yeah. Now that you say that, I feel like, you know, they're not, they're not like, I feel like people like to think of them as, in, as opposites, like industry and academia, they're very different, but I, I, I think I like the way you put that where it's uh they don't really seem like opposites. They're just like a little bit different, but they're really not that different. You know, it's just that kind of getting people to believe in something. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's just where along the spectrum of, um, I guess, implementation, maybe um, you yeah. are. And- yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, uh, like for mission driven people that are, are off, focusing in healthcare, right? Um, you can accomplish that mission in academia or in industry. That's it. That's all. And then you, you, I guess you chose industry, right? So, well, yeah, uh, for now, right? I mean, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think there's necessarily a firewall that exists, you know, forever, um, you know, between these two things. Right now, I think for this solution that I'm working on, the best place to accomplish, you know, this is in industry because uh, we need to distribute to a large number of hospitals. And, and, and um, you know, by, by being a business, we can contract with and, um, you know, install our products and, you know, deal with all the, the, the challenges associated with doing that. Um, but, you know, in the future, right. I mean, there may be problems that I identify, you know, that are more like research problems. And, you know, that's why I wanted to finish my training so that I wasn't, um, you know, wasn't going in one direction permanently and not able to, mm. to go back and forth between the others. So yeah. I'm in an industry for now, but I don't actually think that they have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. And I feel like either way, you're going to be in the AI and medicine space. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess that, uh, that brings me, uh, you know, we ask these closing questions for every guest. Um, what do you think the future of AI and medicine will look like in 10 to 20 years? Yeah, I think, I think the sizzle of, you know, um, you know, and the shininess of, of AI will have, have worn off and people will really 
be excited about the very pragmatic uses for AI or machine learning in healthcare, right? Um, by that, I mean solving real problems, um, you know, with, with a, a solution that is perhaps based on machine learning and not, you know, not just doing machine learning for the sake of machine learning. Mm. Mm. Like you yeah, won't know, that, you won't know that it's machine learning. They won't have a name for it. It's just going to be, you know, clinical software and there'll be machine learning built into it. Ah, uh, I see. I see. Um, and our next question is, uh, what advice would you give to yourself 10 years ago? Uh, yeah, it actually relates to how I view the world in, in 10 to 20 years, which was just to be more pragmatic, right? I think at the beginning of, of our um, you know, journey at Encora, we really focused on sort of like these big ticket mm. uh, pieces of machine learning and like really trying to like shoot for the moon. When in reality, like taking logical, methodical steps forward in the right direction is much more fruitful and makes a bigger impact for, for patients. Could you give an example of that? Yeah, just, uh, you know, predict, predicting an adverse event, right? And, and helping risk score a patient and giving that information to a physician, right? You know, mm. when you put it like that, it doesn't sound all that fancy. But it doesn't have it doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to yeah, be. Yeah. You know. You know. We analyze the patient's data and automatically tell you which patients should get which therapies. You know. Uh, you know. Make a. You know. A, a can. You know. An oncologist. You know. In a box or something. You know. I think that was sort of like the vision of a couple of large technology companies. When, when mm. in reality, like that's not what that's not what the the market wants, and that's not mm -hmm. what's best for for patients. Mm. Small steps, baby steps. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, even just with like other major companies in different industries, like, you know, like Amazon just started as a bookstore, like right. selling books to people. Solve, solve a problem, solve a problem. Mm. And uh, I was wondering, you know, I guess that also takes me to my next question is, would you have any advice for students who are interested in industry? Yeah, there will never be a, a safer, less risky time for you to start a company than while you're in school. Think about that. Really? <laughs> that, it's <laughs> only going to get that? harder. It's only going to get harder, right? You know, mm. you know, once you have a stable job and you're making a stable salary and you're supporting a family, right? Not to say there aren't um, students that aren't already doing that. I, I fully understand. But in all likelihood, your life in 10 years is going to be a lot harder mm. to start a company in than right now. So That's good point. You have a legitimate idea. You believe it has legs. You know, work on it, pressure test it, and um, just go for it. It's funny you say that because uh, actually one of our previous guests, he uh, he also was a medical student who he like kind of paused medical school, but like to work at Google Health for a couple of years. Now he's a product manager there, and uh, he he had this uh, this funny hot take where he said. Uh, Med students are the most risk averse people on the planet. <laughs> and that's sure. why they enter this profession is because they're so risk averse that, uh, you know, they just kind of like kind of follow the, the herd. Um, and so I, I think it's funny you say that because I don't know. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, as a student, you know, like we don't really realize that this is the best time to start a company, you know, because if anything, I think students would think this is the worst time, you know, like, oh, we're not making any money. We're, not, we're in debt. No, 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 no. You know, right. and uh, right. th that's great perspective. 
yeah, you know, uh, with, you know, and, and it also, even if, if you come back to school, right, it gives you a new perspective too, right? I think, you know, you learn things in industry that you don't learn in school and those things can help you throughout your training. Um, you know, even just, you know, like standing up for your, your interests and negotiating and, you know, understanding that, you know, the world isn't as rigid as, you know, an application and, you know, and the match would make you believe. As, you know, as someone who's about to, who might enter the match next year, I'm curious, could you, could you talk more a bit about that last part? Yeah, no, I mean, it's just every, um, you know, in, in medicine and medical training and college education, right? Like for our whole lives, we've been writing applications and, you know, competing to get into highly selective institutions. But like at some point, like there aren't actually, you know, some point you're in the real world and you get a job because, you know, you went to a conference and, you know, somebody saw your, your abstract presented and they thought like you did great work and you had, you know, breakfast the next day at the hotel and they offered you a job, right? Like if this is not, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no match for life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank God. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So just learning those skills, you know, can help you put things in perspective. Uh, I guess I should, I should also, um, you know, add, I guess for the viewer, the listeners, um, I guess you're technically a fourth year medical student right now, right? And you, you're going to graduate with your MD, um, I, but you're also still the CEO of Ancora. I'm curious, could you tell us like what, I guess your your next steps are, what's your plan, you know? Will you be entering the match or staying with the company? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, as much as I, you know, love clinical care, um, you know, residency is, is uh, you know, not a, not a path I'm gonna be going down, um, the least, at least at the current time. Um, so, not entering the match, um, you know, very committed to um, building solutions, software solutions for uh, cancer patients, cancer doctors to really personalize care um, and just trying to do everything I can to, to grow that, get that in as many hospitals as possible, uh, you know, and continue to work um, in close collaboration with physicians, but not as a practicing physician myself. Mm. Uh, I'm curious, uh... Do you tell your preceptors uh, when you're on your rotations that, you know, oh, sorry, I got to take a work call or, you know, I'm a, a CEO of a, of a company. Um, I don't lead with it. Uh, you know, I try to, you know, I'm in their world. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, it inevitably does seem to seem to come up at some point during the rotation though. And, um, you know, I think it's an opportunity to learn again, to learn from them. Um, so, you know, hearing their problems, you know, hearing them complain about the EHR, um, hearing them talk about real clinical challenges that they face on a daily basis and being able to come from that entrepreneurial perspective and think about, okay, you know, here's how we might be able to come up with a solution to improve this. Uh, that's just, that's really fun for me. But when I'm there, I'm, I'm focused on, yeah, trying to learn clinical care. That's cool that you've actually, you know, come up with a solution or are actively engaged in that process because um you know me on, on the other end of the spectrum i i'm like you know in rotations and i hear preceptors kind of 
complain about the EHR all the time, but I, I kind of just sit there and twiddle my thumbs, you know, right. like, oh man, that sounds terrible. <laughs> you know, like, oh darn, uh, I wish uh, Epic was more intuitive to use, but, yeah. you know, I, yeah. that, that's it. Like for me, like this, the, the thought ends there, but it's cool that, you know, you've actually been in the trenches, you know, doing stuff. Yeah. You know, and you'll, you'll get there too. Right. I mean, it didn't, didn't happen overnight for me, of course, but um, you know, as you start, you know, thinking more and more about, you know, machine learning and, and it's, and it's how it can be useful and you start to solutions and problems start to present themselves and you can start to formulate, you know, solutions and picking the right one, you know, picking the right ones and, and, and uh, trying to make those ones, the one you focus on is that's the, that's the trick. Well, thank you so much, David, soon to be Dr. Lindsay. Um, I was wondering if, uh, you know, if you had any closing remarks for our listeners. Uh, no, I mean, I think other than, you know, for those who are interested in machine learning and in healthcare, um, you know, there are opportunities, right, um, at within medical systems to, to be involved in machine learning. There are companies, you know, there are researchers. So just, yeah, try to try to jump in and, and find a project and, and, and do some hands-on work in the space. Um, you know, and, and anybody's also, you know, very welcome to reach out to us, um, you know, at Encora, if you're interested in, you know, learning more about what we do or doing an internship or, you know, God forbid, leaving your program and joining us full time. <laughs> Sway yeah. them to the dark side. Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, reach out anytime. Well, cool. thank you so much, David. Yeah, David, great to meet you. <laughs>